It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. On Saturday the 4th of August 1945, at 8.55am, Frederick Keeling, a driver for Taxi Lux, a local cab company, pulled up outside of 16 Greenall Road in Harleston. The street was silent, as the residents were roused by the chirp of a dawn chorus and the clatter of a milk cart. Having loaded the first of his fare's luggage into the boot for what should have been an unremarkable day, it was then that Frederick saw Cyril. Standing outside of his wife's lodging at 12 Greenhill Road, a short, stocky man in an army battle dress slowly approached him. His face a ghastly white, his mouth agog with shock, and his pale hands dripping with a deep red ooze. Although slow, he didn't stumble like a man in pain, but a man in shock. As in his hands, he held a curved knife, which continuously dripped with the fresh warm blood of his victim. Stopping by Frank's car, the driver stated that he didn't feel afraid, as Civil wasn't seen as a threat, but as someone who needed help. And as the soldier shook his bloody hands, spattering the pavement below, in a quiet voice he uttered, Get the police. I've done my missus. And as Frank drove off to find a phone box to call the police, Civil walked out of Greenhill Road. Only this wasn't his escape, as he didn't even attempt to flee. Keen to give himself up, amidst a gaggle of gobsmacked pedestrians, this blooded and dazed soldier trudged half a mile north to Harlesden Police Station. His sluggish demeanour, like he'd just emerged from a battlefield. And with Frank's frantic call coming in, by the time Inspector Coote and Sergeant Furster had driven a hundred yards, the unmistakable sight of Civil Padmore was walking towards them. Pulling up, he stated, I've done my wife in, 
he gave them the address. He confessed, I did it with this, having handed them a small curved knife from his right trouser pocket. And being cautioned, Sybil's only reply was to think it was an Italian she'd been going with. In a police report dated the 11th of August 1945, Inspector Coote wrote sympathetically of Sybil's case, stating, The motive of the crime is most apparent, and it cannot be disputed that the moral character of the deceased woman, Kathleen Padmore, was of the lowest. Outside of Sybil and Kathleen, there was one other person who it can be said was to blame. And although anonymous, that someone was known only as Joe. It was during those dark and lonely days of the war that Kathleen's lack of morals came into question. As witnessed by landlords, lodgers, locals, and even her own children, no one was decrying that her desire to be loved was lacking. But it was the uncaring way in which she went about it that caused whispers to spread from Farmall all the way to Burma. Described as coarse and mouthy, those who disliked Kathleen were said to be unsurprised when a welfare officer called, when she got evicted from two farms, and when her children were placed in their uncle's care, all within the space of a year. Many were shocked at how unashamedly she'd had sex in the woods, and even with one, if not all three of the lorry drivers, as her daughter slept beside her. But what riled them most was her fornicating with the Italian fascists, who Britain was fighting against. One of those who spoke up was her sister May, who she had always had a fractious relationship with. When questioned, May selectively told the police, I have seen Kathleen on numerous occasions in a field having intercourse with a lorry driver named Gordon. She also carried on with the other driver called Bill. I have spoken to her about her conduct and she has told me to mind my own business. And although her statements of Kathleen's morals were cherry-picked, it was like calling a pod kettle black. As according to those same witnesses, her morals were no better. George Podbury, the landlord of Woodend Cottages, stated, I began to think that immoral things were taking place in the cottage and I told the women I would not let these men in. They took no notice. I received abuse and insults when I spoke to them. Possibly out of spite, May had blabbed about her sister's filthy ways. But according to Joseph Wiley, licensee of the Seacourt Bridge Hotel in Botley, often it was three women identified as May, Kathleen, and one other said to be one of May's daughters, whose behavior was so bad, I asked them to stop. 
whereas Horace, the brother of both women, was the uncle put in charge of the children instead of it being their Auntie May. He would state, I've seen both women going out at nights to woods near the cottages with Italian prisoners of war. I have also seen them returning at 7am, and it was obvious to me that they'd spend the night in the woods with the Italians. In her statements, May acted like she was an angel. Only it's hard to call someone immoral when by your own actions you're no more moral than you are immoral. She told the police, I don't know the names of any of the men. She was very secretive in nature and she told me very little about her men friends. Which was a blatant lie. But as Edward, a lodger in the cottage would state, May was all right until Mrs. Padmore arrived. Then she seemed to lose control and told me once, this sister will ruin me. Between January and May 1945, at the nunnery in Einsham, the farm's landlord, Gordon Blake, said Kathleen was one of two women, the other being May, who were consorting with the prisoners. When questioned, Antonio Frenzo and Mario Saviello of the number 45 camp said that they knew both women only to pass the time of day. With Mario only acquainted with May and Antonio having never had sexual relations with her. Although, even just admitting to that during wartime was a criminal offence. But was there more to this than just sisterly spite and bitter jealousy? Maybe not. In late April 1945, May discovered that Kathleen was pregnant. Shortly afterwards, Sybil received a letter in Burma from an unidentified person known only as Joe, who told him everything and could even provide a list of possible fathers. But not only was Joe the nickname that Mario gave May, not only did she later draw up a list of possible fathers for the police, but the letter written by Joe was said to be in a similar handwriting to May's. That letter led to Kathleen being investigated by a welfare officer, having her children removed into care, to her eviction from the lodgings and a paying job, and it ended the relationship with Antonio. Whether that was May, we shall never be certain. But a second letter was also sent by Joe. Dated the 28th of May, 1945, it was sent to the Commandant of the Number 45 Prisoner of War Camp in North Hingsey. It read, Dear Sir, I feel it is my duty to write to you as it concerns a British soldier, a wife and their five children. One of your men, Antonio Frunzo, also a married man, 
is going with a Mrs. Padmore, who is using the name Miss Stanton. Will you please stop this man seeing this woman, as her husband is away in Burma? Yours respectfully, a British citizen. And although sent anonymously, Mario would confirm it was sent by Joe, as it impacted on him too. That day, Kathleen moved into 12 Greenhill Road to anxiously await Sybil's arrival. Only May's bitterness towards her immoral sister was far from finished. Arriving at St Pancras Station, granted 28 days leave owing to his wife's conduct, he sorted a place to stay and he headed off to see his children at the home of their uncle Horace at Lower End Farm in Thrupp. I asked Mr. and Mrs. Jenning and my wife's relations what had been going on while I was away. So helpful was May to this mild-mannered man whose heart had been ripped in two that according to Civil, off her, I got a list of names. She said the list was of the men my wife had been going with. And handing it over, she added quite maliciously, when you see your wife, ask her to pick the one out of the list. But even he would admit, this might have been done for spite because my wife and her sister fight like hell. During his stay, May said, he questioned me about his wife's behavior, and I told him the whole truth about everything, except of course about her own immorality. And during the time, he couldn't eat or sleep. Torn by his tired head and his broken heart, civil, who had often had concerns about his wife's fidelity, having cheated on her ex-husband with him, had begun to question which of the four children that he assumed to be his were actually his. Born in the period when he was stationed overseas, Civil looked at his youngest daughter, three-year-old Kathleen. And when Horace had asked, Do you think it's his? It was then that Sybil replied, They're just like the bastard. And having wiped his hand across his brow, he huffed and gruffly uttered, Jesus Christ. Sybil had always been suspicious of who his daughter's father was, as ever since the previous Christmas, when he had read a letter written by Kathleen to Frank Tobin then landlord at 36 Randolph Avenue. He saw it was signed off with the words, Love especially from your little Noreen. With the word your underlined. Unable to trust his own eyes, his own wife, and the words of her spiteful and bitter sister, 
as hard as it was, he knew that the only person he could trust was his own daughter, Christine, who was only 12. When asked, Christine confirmed, On at least six or seven occasions, I have seen Bill and Gordon sleeping with my mother. And upon leaving the house to head to London, he said one of either two things. If anything happens, do what you can for the kids. Or a phrase impossible to verify. I will do a rin, and I shall hang for it. On Wednesday the 1st of August, I wandered about all day trying to pluck up the courage. Not to kill her, just to see her and talk to her, as he knew that the sight of her swollen belly would upset him. The next day, stealing his resolve with a few thick hits of rum, Civil headed to 12 Greenhill Road. Being a little inebriated, with the list of his wife's lovers in his hand, and May's words still ringing in his ears, he was in no state to be rational. Being drunk and tearful, Civil claimed, I lost my temper with the way she'd let me down. We talked for a while, and then I asked her, whatever made her do it? Only she didn't reply to the question. Maybe she didn't want to, or maybe she didn't have an answer. But thrusting the list into her hand, she would defend, I don't know who most of these people are. And although Cyril wasn't a violent man, he hit her. Later that evening, Marge saw Kathleen in the shared kitchen. Her lip was cut and her mouth was bruised. She said her husband had hit her because she was carrying on with the Yanks and Italians. In her room, he had spat, I could have forgiven you if it had been anyone else, but not our enemy. And as several months of pentabanger bubbled, how could you expect me to own a child that wasn't mine? He fumed ignoring the fact that Reggie wasn't his, and possibly the youngest too. And although she pleaded with him to stay, I couldn't be introduced as the father of the child she was carrying, so I left. She shouted, If you go, Nana, you'll never see me again. But still I left. He needed to call off. So that night, having bedded down in the Salvation Army hostel, being drained and exhausted, he slept. Early the next morning, he hand-delivered a letter through Kathleen's door. It read, Dear Kath, Please be good enough to meet me half an hour from now outside of the Odeon. Pat. Pat.
on the envelope. He had scrawled, I love you. With Cyril's head downcast and sore, and Kathleen's mouth swollen and bruised, Cyril said, When I saw her, I felt sorry because I knew that she was in trouble. I took her out for the day, and it brought back memories of when we used to go out together. They walked in the park, they went to the theatre, and they ate a meal in a cafe where they talked. He still loved her, but along with knowing the truth, he needed to see her remorse so he could forgive her. I asked her why she had gone as single, having used the alias of Miss Stanton rather than her married name of Mrs. Padmore, but she didn't reply. Asked what the Italian wanted to do, even though she said she hadn't seen him in a month, she would admit, he waits for me every night. The arrangements were, I would have the child and his people would come over, take it and give me a lump sum, as if they were buying it. From her bag, she took out a lot of Italian money and tore it up in front of me. Whether she was committed to their future, their marriage or their children, he wasn't sure. Together they could make it work, and he knew that. But whether she could remain faithful, that he didn't know. After a pleasant walk in Paddington Green, Sybil walked her to the bus stop, saying, Here, I'll wait with you till it comes. Thinking they had reached a resolution, she said, You're coming home with me. Being a woman who believed she could get whatever she wanted from a man by using her body. Only with the bump between them, due within a week. Being a reminder of her infidelity, he turned her down. I said, no, that's impossible. How can you expect me to come back and sleep with you when you've been with another man? Like many servicemen, the one thing which had kept him alive was the thought of coming home and being with his beloved wife. For years, I've waited for this moment to return. But I was robbed of everything. Their ruined relationship had a slim hope of survival. But it all rested on whether she loved him. On Saturday the 4th of August 1945, at 8.50am, having slept fitfully, Private Civil Patmore entered Green Hill Road in Harlston. The street was silent, as the residents were roused by the chirp of a dawn chorus. 
the clatter of a milk cart, and Frederick Keeling, a driver for Taxi Lux, pulling up to await his passenger. Dressed in his battle dress, as expected of a soldier on leave, in his pockets, Civil held the list, his wife's letters, and a six-inch knife purchased as a souvenir at an Indian bazaar. I didn't know what to do, he would state. But I wanted to see her. I loved her so much, and I had every intention of overlooking everything again. Inside, Kathleen heard him knock at the front door. According to Marge, Kathleen said, I expect that's my husband. And as she trembled, she said, I'm finished. I don't know whether to open the door. She froze as his unmistakable shadow loomed over the frosted door pane just a few feet away. As she whispered, I'll let him knock again. Perhaps he'll put the letter through the door and go away. Only he didn't. Informed of her immorality by her family, her sister, herself, and even her own children. For their sake, he wanted to give their marriage a chance. What he needed was the woman he had married and the mother of his children to show that she still loved him. But fed up with his questions and having rejected her, what he got was an uncouth and mouthy Kathleen who was unashamed of her actions. From the hallway, she led him into the empty kitchen at the rear of the ground floor. So with the lodgers in their rooms, no one would hear the foul words she would unleash in his reddening face. To the medical officer of Brixton Prison, Civil confessed, It was a casual and indifferent attitude. She said, You've got a bag of nerves asking questions. I said, are you coming? Because I'm leaving. Thereby giving her an ultimatum that if they left right now, there was still a possibility of saving what little of their relationship they had left. But with her shouting, do what the hell you like. Civil would state, I knew I was finished. Hearing a scream, and Kathleen shouting, Marge, Marge. The tenants raced down to see Civil. The knife in his hand, his sleeves bloodstained as he totted out into the street. And knowing that his life was over, having uttered to Frank, Get the police, I've just done my missus. Moments later, Civil was arrested. At 9.05am, Dr. Crow 
the police divisional surgeon entered the ground floor kitchen to see the walls splashed with fresh warm blood it dripping off the surfaces where the human ooze was yet to congeal lying face down on the tiled floor wearing a print frock and blue ankle socks Kathleen was pale and lifeless as owing to her injuries she was unconscious within a minute and dead within 3 bleeding profusely from a gaping wound to her throat with no wounds to her hands nor any signs of a struggle civil's blade had severed the small muscles of the neck slicing open her right carotid artery and her right jugular vein and draining her heart of blood Kathleen was dead. But as Dr. Crow rolled over her still warm corpse, seeing she was heavily pregnant and carrying inside of her a 10 pound and 4 ounce baby, which was barely a week from its birth. Through a sopping wet and bloody dress, he saw its final kick, a start of life. the baby died inside of her tried at the old bailey on the 28th of september 1945 the jury of 10 men and 2 women was said to be in tears as the testimony unfolded taking pity on civil owing to the immoral ways of his wife a verdict of manslaughter was returned and he was sentenced to just 5 years in prison with mr justice charles incensed at the jury's decision he stated it would be the law of the jungle if a man finding his wife had been unfaithful once or even 20 times was entitled to murder her and then say but look at the provocation i've received but if manslaughter it be i'm bound by the jury's verdict your counselor said you were a sorely tried man but if you had not been so sorely tried i should have been bound to give you a very very heavy sentence that sentence being death as a key witness in the trial may who it was never proven was the anonymous writer of the letters penned by someone known only as joe openly spoke of her sister's wholesale immorality which not only lessened her killer's sentence but her spiteful words also condemned kathleen to her death serving his time at wormwood scrubs throughout his prison term civil's concern was for the welfare of my children and not trusting his wife's family as far as we know they were placed into care upon his release civil patmore went on to live a good life he earned a living as a plumber he remarried he remained close to his children and outliving his new spouse he died in southwark in 1999 
never fully knowing the truth about the immoral Mrs. Patmore. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Oh, that's annoying. Oh, folks. Oh, there we go. Oh, halfway through that, my neighbour decided to put their engine on. So annoying. So effing annoying. I've I've dampened down the room as much as I can. But it's like, they were like, oh, yeah, I need to I need to watch something on telly. I'll just put my engine on really loud. I, you probably can. It's a horrible hum. It's a really annoying hum in the background, which is probably going to permeate through everything and going to make this edit really fucking difficult. But that's the life of living on the waterway. You gotta put up with this shit. Ah, oh, there we go. Um, time for a cuppa, methinks. Cuppa o'clock. I'm gonna have a, uh, I think it's a peppermint today. So there we go. Oh. Let's just, uh, 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 uh. Oh. There we go. Right. Oh. That sound is echoing everywhere. I can't get rid of it. Annoying, I gotta switch off my lights. My batteries charge up. There we go. Oh, what else is going on in the world apart from an annoying person next door? All she seems to do is watch telly all day. Just sits there watching telly all day, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do anything, just watches telly all day. I mean, if she's a professional 
TV journalist. Not that, that, not that that's really a job, is it? It's not really a job, is it? Kind of watching TV programmes and then giving your opinion on it. Not really a job. Not a proper job. Not really a journalist, is it? It's just, just, it's just. Oh, I've watched something. I've made a decision about that. Just, uh, critics. What's the point? Um, so, what's going on? Apparently, there's a blue moon tonight. Uh, so, we're going to keep an eye out for that tonight. Oh, life doesn't get any more exciting than that. Uh, weather-wise, around here, it's all fine. I think, I think, because the whole of the world is burning at the moment. Therefore, because you have to have a balance in the world, if if one side of the world is burning, the other ha- half has to be wet, and in the middle it has to be ambient. So we've had we've had a fine summer. I know they waffled on about June. Oh, June was the hottest on record, but that was June. July was kind of mid twenty degrees. August mid twenty degrees. About to tip into s- September. We're just on the cusp of September now, um, and it's probably going to do the same again. So yeah all very exciting uh what else is going on off to see with an eye again at the cinema very soon but uh a, a screening with bruce robinson so there we go the writer and director of that so that'll be good fun gonna enjoy that uh <coughs> and i'm back in the archive soon um <coughs> trying to gear myself up ready for december i always like to do december in the archives uh so i prep to get all the episodes up and ready and out so september october november i'll be powering th- i'll do my re- finish the rest of the research in a couple of weeks uh and then i will uh power through the episodes because i'm I'm in a good re- re- regime now i can kind of get an episode done in five days in the old days it used to take nine or ten days now i can do it in about five four or five so uh that's good so i'll get myself ahead of the game and uh get into the archives and then i have my fun i can spend all my time in the archives going through all the murder files having a look at all the all the fascinating stuff it's really really interesting just just going through um uh all the witness statements like you know sometimes with cases you see things written in newspapers and it's only when you get the proper statements that you realize how selective it was and the fact that the journalists haven't been given the statements they were just sitting normally in court and they're scribing it down and it's kind of you can see all the mistakes they've made and you see see what bits they've edited out and it's only when you see the the statements in full that you go oh this is more interesting than what we're being given so that's why i really like that really exciting so looking forward to some archive time uh and having some time off over christmas as well that would be lovely shall i finish my kettle now yeah because otherwise i'm just gonna let's see is it gonna be hot or is it gonna be cold it's smoking, it's uh, steaming a bit, so that'll do. It's a nice peppermint tea. Lovely, lovely, all good. Uh, we haven't had spider season yet, I was shocked by that. I, normally, end of August, you have spider season and the little bastards are coming in. But I haven't had any spiders come in yet. Maybe it's too maybe it's too cold for them. We haven't had any good weather, so maybe that's it. Um, still no cake. Haven't had the cake in a long time. The last one I had was a one-off, which is the one to celebrate what I thought was the end of my bronchitis and ended up being the start of my uh, my ruptured eye. So I'm still struggling with that. I've partially sighted in my left, still. So all these episodes have been written and edited with one eye. You're welcome. So uh, hopefully back in the hospital soon and they can tell me whether 
what they can do about it. Hopefully, they can do something about it. I put lots of lots of evil drugs in my eye. Lots of drugs where it says don't get don't get this in your central nervous system because if you do, it's dangerous. And you think, oh shit! But then suddenly you realise it's fine to put it in your eye, one of the most sensitive parts of your body, but not in the rest of your system. It's really baffling. But yeah, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. Right. Uh, extra, don't forget this is extra mild the unscripted unedited bit so don't complain if there's a mistake oh, so you made a mistake you said red it's unedited it's unedited that's the point oh um so i'm going to do some quiz questions don't forget i haven't edited this episode yet so um some of these questions might not be in there don't get all stressy if some of the questions are i i only say this because sometimes people get in touch with me and they go oh you missed out a question it's like so what so what go and live your life have some fun get off the internet get off your phones stop staring at a phone stop obsessing about things that are unimportant there's so much more important things in the world than than whether someone sitting in their bedroom making a podcast for free for you for entertainment says red instead of blue who fucking cares baffles me people on the internet just I think the problem with the internet is it's given people a voice and because a lot of people don't have a voice in real life or don't feel that they have a voice in real life, therefore they feel this is their moment. I've got to say something. I need to say something now. And it's like, no, you don't. What you need to do is go outside and talk to real people and have a life. Just Or just do something. Read a book. Do something. But there's so many people who dedicate hours to every day being on their phone and their ipad or whatever they're they're like i need to comment on this if you comment on more than two things a day on the internet please go and get a life i there's so many people that i see out there who comment on everything they they have to give an opinion and you just go it's 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 worthless it's like I, i look at my twitter account or whatever it's called today um and it says on there you've i've done over ten thousand tweets and I never think to myself, oh, wow, this is amazing. I've done 10,000 tweets. I think to myself, wow, look at the amount of time I have pissed up the wall by writing shit for people who don't give a fuck. It's a massive waste of time. And if, if it were to all collapse tomorrow, you wouldn't have anything. Think about all that time that you could take... The, the, the time it's taken to think up and write 10,000 tweets could have that's like five books you could probably write five books in that time you could probably have taken yourself out of a shit career that you hate and said to yourself do you know what i I, i'm going to become a painter i've always wanted to be a painter and in the time it's taken you to write that you could have become a painter you could have done something with your life but instead people are obsessed with this idea of shit of just commenting on shit you don't need to comment on shit you don't need to go on facebook forums to comment on shit it's like someone asks you what your favorite film is who fucking cares just do something with your life (laughs) it's just it's just infuriating but for some people this is all they have all they have is fucking internet Jesus Christ. That's why I don't do a lot of social media. I post shit on there. Uh if people if people say uh, I enjoyed the episode, I always reply because it's 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 politeness. I think leaving nice comments is nice. 
Uh, I always, therefore I always reply to nice comments, horrible comments. I always, I, I normally delete. I always tell them to fuck off. Uh, I don't. I wish I'd love to, but I just, I just delete them. But uh, yeah, no, no, leaving nice stuff is nice. But it's just people who feel they have to comment on everything. You just like, oh, just get, get off your phone for a second. Anyway, here's me saying get off your phone, and uh, what I need you to do is to listen to my podcast, which kind of defeats the object. Oh, it's like it's like talking about the environment and how we should all be saving the environment. But when you think about it, listening to podcasts, the the, the amount of power it takes for you to download your podcast and times it by all the people who do it's pretty crazy really it's like watching my mates always waffle on about uh the environment but they love watching netflix and every time i have to point out to them that netflix had to build their own power station in order to cope with all of the streaming that happens for you to download a program onto your own device and think about all the power that has to be used on all these other platforms as well. The use of the internet. Like every time you do a Google search, the amount of servers it has to go through, who are all like based in Finland or Wisconsin or, or up to satellites and all that. You think about it. That is the equivalent of running a 60-watt bulb for 17 seconds. And that's just one Google search or any search or even like on uh if you're on telegram or whatsapp and you, you you feel you have to comment to a mate or you have to send them a stupid gif or something like that that's like 10 seconds of a 60 watt bulb and we're all doing it constantly all day so it's uh it's pretty bad isn't it we we are a bad people <sighs> there you go that was that was like 10 minutes of me just ranting about shit uh if you like that like uh you might like uh walk with me that's what i do i just i just i i, I walk i talk about that this episode and then sometimes i end up in a rant because uh people piss me off but there we go anyway i've got my peppermint tea with me that should calm me down i doubt it but it might right let's do some quiz questions then we'll dive into some extra stuff about the episode uh question number one what was the company that frank keeling the cab driver worked for question number two how far from kathleen's house was the police station these are all very difficult. Question number three. This is easy. What was the name of the inspector in charge of the investigation? Question number four. Which lorry driver was Kathleen supposedly having sex with in a field? Question number five. What pub was Kathleen and May said to be abusive in? Again, not a very good uh, sentence structure there. Question number six. What was the name of the cottage where they slept with the Italian prisoners of war? Question number seven. In what village was the number 45 prisoner of war camp based? Question number eight. What train station did civil, ar civil arrive in from Burma? Question number nine. In what village did Uncle Horace live? One idiot. I've written the answer there as Uncle <laughs> Uncle Horace. I'll just write it in there. Uh, and question number 10. <laughs> what did Cyril allegedly say before leaving Uncle Horace's house to May? Right. Let's see how my tea is. Oh, this is a very good peppermint tea. Oh, look at that. I'm all calm now. Uh, I, I have actually got a joystick on. Doesn't seem to be doing any good. Um, right, let's dive into some extra stuff. Uh, oh, my my section in my article because uh, I have my Bible in front of me, and it's just a section section called uh, "Shit Stirring in 
and the name of Uncle Horace's town. So, um, Tuesday, the thirty-first of August, uh, he went to the uh, he went to Mister and Missus Jennings, who is Uncle Horace and his wife, and May was there, and they were at uh, Lower End Farm in <coughs> name of village. Um, so obviously, when he got there, his kids were all there. Uh, and as mentioned, uh, Christine was 12, Reggie 16, Noreen 4, Terry 6, and their youngest, Kathleen. Uh, also there was um, his sister-in-law, May. Uh, May's name, uh, Mrs. Uh, May Canning. But this is what made it really confusing when I was trying to research this episode, because May Canning also goes, goes by the name of Miss or Mrs. Seal. Uh, and therefore, we've also got Kathleen, who goes by, um, I can't remember what her name was, I think it was Miss, Miss Simpson or something like that. Uh, so obviously, when she was there, uh, her, her sister, not Horace did as well, but also her sister kind of told uh civil everything everything that she'd seen but obviously she was selective with all the information that she got because obviously she wasn't saying to him well i've been shagging italians as well and i've been uh having sex with the the lorry drivers nope not at all she um so he said from mrs seal which is may uh, i got a list of names this was when i asked questions about, to find out who the father was miss seal said the list was of the men my wife had been going with this might have been done for spite because my wife and sister fight like hell. Um, he said, Mrs. Seal said, when you see your wife, ask her to pick out the one one of that list. Um, which is, it's, it's, it's weird. I know she kind of, her and her sister don't get on. But unless her sister was severely mentally unwell surely she must have seen that the ramifications of her actions would have implications even if she didn't love her sister even if she doesn't love Cyril she must have seen that the ramifications of that would have serious consequences on the children and the children are oldest 16 youngest three and she's got her own children as well what was going on in her effing head that she held on to a bitter spat from when she was a, a child when they were growing up together and and even seeing that her sister was in a difficult situation decided to make it even worse by being a massive bitch about it and therefore i would say arguably leading up to her sister's own her sister's murder i mean what what a, i'm sorry what a fucker what a nasty piece of shit just just uh, that that's what made this a really interesting case for me because it was kind of like you know um We'd already covered cases before of uh, people during wartime and they're meeting up and they're, 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 they're lonely and they get into relationships. And, you know, we had the one with the, the Polish officer who became a bit of a stalker. And we had one of, of the the kind of lady. Her husband was away, her children were away, and she met a guy and, you know, the, it, it ended badly as well. But this was one that I found interesting because of the sister, because of the way the family acted. And, yes, uh, Kathleen's behavior is abhorrent not just her behavior but also the way she's quite unashamed with it in front of people and especially in front of her children but it's a sister's behavior that's even more baffling uh so let's um i thought this was quite sad that um when he was there looking at his children he'd already uh, Cyril had already got kind of worries about 
which of his children weren't his obviously reggie isn't his anyway so he knows that but he's but they've allegedly got four children together and it said uh, whilst there he looked at his own children kathleen age six he shook his head and said i cannot make this out jenning who is uh, horace uh, asked if the child was his and he replied i don't think so i can't make it out why did she do this to me i've played straight with her since since i have been abroad um Maisie Steele, 27 who's the niece of kathleen so that's one of may's daughters stated cyril looked at his daughter and said they're just like the bastard in reference to mr tobin so that's frank tobin he then wiped his brow uh, i've written brown there for some reason he wiped his brown that would be a very different story he wiped he wiped his brow on the back of his hand and said jesus christ uh, and obviously as mentioned in the episode he'd already seen a letter written by kathleen to frank tobin last christmas and on these were the words love especially from your in capital letters little noreen and underlined uh she'd underlined your multiple times i mean that's not exactly being discreet about it really uh so we don't really know where he saw it but he definitely did and um so that's pretty sad also sitting down with uh his 12 and a half year old daughter uh christine uh so christine was the uh except reggie she was the oldest of their biological children um he, he took her out to the day gave her a nice meal i think i think they went out for a meal or something in oxford and it was there he was like i need to ask you some questions tell me what you did see and she was like do you know what's she gonna do she's 12 and a half years old and she's torn between her mother and her father her mother who's not exactly being motherly and her father who hasn't been around a lot in her early years because of the war so she's torn in a difficult situation and god knows what that did for her for the rest of her life knowing that the words that she said may have contributed to her mother's death given the fact that her father killed her mother so that would have made for a horrible situation um didn't put this in the episode thursday the 2nd of august at 10 30 a.m cyril went to see frank tobin it's fascinating given the fact that he suspects frank tobin of being the father of his youngest and yet he still regards him as a friend frank would send him letters overseas to reassure him that everything was fine uh, and he he's even one of the people who cyril goes to see um before the murder uh and frank said he was crying he said i've seen the children they're in rags they're hungry it's broke my heart after all i've done in this war and the time i've been in the jungle just thinking of my wife and children from inquiries i've made from my own relatives i found out she carried on with nearly every man in the village even the wops that's uh, slang for italians uh tobin advised me to forget his wife and get the children settled um still agreed uh but said uh, uh no that's fine um so yeah it, it does make you wonder whether frank wanted to be dating kathleen and therefore that's why he advised him to forget his wife and get his children settled um obviously uh from the earlier episode you'll remember that she said that she was uh walking home uh, on a celebration of his birthday and their wedding anniversary so that was back in november she got drunk she was walking home it's roughly four miles and that she had been inverted commas seduced he asked who the father was and she said it was uh, antonio frunzo sometimes his name is listed as soldata frunzo antonio uh 
but that's because it's flipped around the wrong way because it's a, a military his military uh, reference they're getting it from um, when he was in Brixton prison the medical officer um, he said to the medical officer uh, it was his wife's casual and indifferent attitude when they met um, which was the kind of the catalyst for murder uh, he also said he had no intention of killing his wife uh, he only intended to mar her uh, which begs the question of why he had the knife with him was it was given the fact that most people in their battle dress would have had a utility belt as well which has all the things that you'd put in there as well and he'd have his kit bag with him so likelihood is he may have just had his his knife with him uh, as something he would naturally carry around anyway but he may have intentionally brought it with him just as he intentionally brought the letters he'd received from her with him uh let's see let's scroll down a little bit more um as mentioned they uh, the day before they had a relatively nice day they went to see the went to the theater they went out and had a meal uh, she'd pawned off some of his clothes uh, and that's what he meant by personal belongings it was he wanted the pawn tickets back so we don't really know what she had pawned of his but it was definitely clothes uh i won't go through his whole witness statement um day of the murder so uh, marge was talking to kathleen at the door around 8 40 a.m it was it was actually probably about 8 50 a.m she said there was a knock at the door kathleen said i expect that's my husband she trembled and said i'm finished i don't know whether to open the door uh, i'll let him knock again perhaps he'll put a letter through the door but there was a knock and she decided to let him in now cyril would say i saw her and i asked her to i asked her to come upstairs into the room and to talk because he wanted to talk to her privately uh, she stood there cool and defiant and said wait a minute and see my friends uh, i think that means the lodgers uh, he said i don't want to see anyone she said since you've been back you've got a bag of nerves asking questions i said are you coming because i'm leaving and she said you know everything i've told you everything do what the hell you like and he said i i knew then that i was finished that's all i only meant to scar her so that nobody else could have her but me she struggled and i stabbed her in the wrong place so we don't know whether that's real ernest thwaites uh who was one of the lodgers um, oh no i think it was the landlord um said he heard kathleen screaming he said i heard a terrible scream she sh- i got a hiccup sorry uh she shouted marge marge uh, which was uh, her new best friend who lived there. Uh, Thwaites came downstairs and saw her lying on the floor, covered in blood and groaning. He spoke to her but got no reply. Don't forget she's going into unconsciousness at that point because uh, blood is draining out of her body. He then went into the street and asked the driver to fetch for the police. Marge, after the scream, raced downstairs and she reached the first step of the passage leading to the kitchen. Patmore, which is Cyril, came through the kitchen door. He had a knife in his right hand. His trousers were bloodstained. And as he tottered by, he was mumbling something unheard. Uh, she looked into the kitchen and Kathleen was sat on a chair by the fireplace, bent forward with her back to the door. Marge then called her husband and Mr Thwaite and then remained in her room. So Kathleen was on the chair. When the police finally turned up, the, the chair was overturned. But that's because she'd sat on it and then she passed out. Um, there were two other lodges in the house but they don't really recall anything because they were further up the house uh, I think uh, the discovery so Detective Sergeant Gibbs was actually the first on scene uh, directed by an occupant to the ground floor flat at the rear uh, 
He said her position, uh, she was face down, lifeless, on her stomach, head inclined to the right. In falling, she had overturned a kitchen chair. She was bleeding profusely and appeared to be lifeless. He sent for an ambulance. Um, uh, the doctor arrived, uh, Dr. Crow. Uh, she was declared dead at 9.05 a.m., uh, so about 10 minutes later. Um, he said it was very recent. The woman was lying on her back close to the fireplace. There was a gaping wound of her throat, one and a half inches long, running from the midline of the neck towards the right-hand side. The incis incision penetrated deeply. There was also an incised wound, one and a half long, on the left-hand side of the forehead above the eyebrow. Uh, we don't know whether that's whether he hit her or whether she hit the floor. Um... But obviously, as mentioned in the episode, it was uh, Dr. Crow who he saw that she was dead. She was very, very, very pale. There was no movement. By that point, there was no blood in her heart. That had been entirely drained out. And the floor and the walls were absolutely covered in blood. And that's when he turned over the her body and saw the, the what he said was the final kick. Uh, uh, the final movement of the child, he said. Um... Uh, Sewell was arrested, uh, taken to X Division, which is a uh, Halsden area, uh, informed of the murder. Uh, as mentioned, Sewell kind of said, I've done my wife in. He gave the address, 12 Greenhill Road. I have come from India, he said. I did it with this. And he produced a closed pocket knife from his right trouser pocket. Boat going past. Music on. Not looking where they're going on their phones. Not a care in the world. Utter arseholes. Um, uh, police inspector said that he would be arrested. He was cautioned. Um, Patmore said to think it was an Italian she was going with. So that's kind of... That's the interesting thing throughout this episode. I, uh, is that even though I think it's more likely that one of the lorry drivers from the first place she was, she was staying was more than likely to be the father of the child because we're at war and because the Italians are the, the enemy at that point all the blame is being put on the Italians but it's unlikely that it was them of course given the fact that we you know the baby the baby's gone the baby's dead we can't do a DNA test on it no one will now know whose baby it was really uh, she was a roughly they they determined her as a th uh, roughly 40 weeks pregnant she, so she was full term Baby was ten pounds and four and a half ounces. Uh, she had no protective marks on the hands or arms. As mentioned, she was unconscious uh, within a minute and dead within three. Cause of death: hemorrhage by stab wound. Um, he was formally charged. Uh, he uh, he admitted that he'd done it. Um, he where was that on his possessions uh two books of clothing rations in her name he also had her handbag uh, uh but also in her handbag was his army pay book and his allowance was four pounds and five shillings a week i was gonna use that in the episode but i decided not to uh he before his um trial he was held at brixton prison uh, his committal was at Wilsdon Magistrates Court on the 5th of August at 10am and he was charged that on the 4th of August uh, he did willfully murder Kathleen Parsons uh, and he was placed on remand. Pretty much I think everything that we needed to be put into uh, the episode about the trial itself. 
Um, I think that is it. Oh no! Um, so uh, with Mr. Justice Charles, he he was the one who said we've kind of got a, a weird situation here that you've taken sympathy for this man who's found his wife cheating and has come back uh, and he's murdered her and you've kind of accepted his provocation as reasons to lower it from a murder charge to a manslaughter charge uh, owing to the fact of her what they would say wholesale immorality but he did say this was the second case in that month tried at the old bailey where a returning officer had found out that his wife had become pregnant by another man he had killed her but had been found guilty of manslaughter by provocation uh so i think that's it we've kind of done everything that was in that as mentioned uh he remarried when he was 51 uh his profession was engineer and plumber's mate um he was a widower at the time of his death he died in uh wandsworth over on uh cavendish road and he died of pneumonia and copd uh he passed away february 1999 in southwark so i think that's everything i can tell you on that hope you enjoyed that episode if indeed you can enjoy an episode because they're all grim aren't they um so let's do some quiz questions uh and then i'll crack on with the editing Oh, Ooh. question number one: What company did Frank Keeling, the cab driver, work for? It was called Taxi Lux. I know full well that when I stop recording, lady next door is going to switch off her engine. Question number two: How far from Kathleen's house was the police station? It was half a mile. Question number three: What was the name of the inspector in charge of the investigation? Come on, you should have got this one. It was Inspector Coot. Question number four. Which lorry driver was Kathleen supposedly having sex with in a field? It was Gordon. Question number five. What pub were Kathleen and May said to be abusive in? It was the Seacourt Bridge Hotel in Botley, which is still there today. Question number six. What was the name of the cottage where they slept with the Italian prisoners of war? It was the nunnery that's still there today question number seven in what village was the number 45 prisoner of war camp based that was north hinksy she's lowered her engine noise now that's really she switched off her effing engine oh that's so annoying that's so annoying I might have a listen to it and redo it. Uh, Question number eight. What train station did Cyril arrive at from Burma? It was St Pancras. In what village did Uncle Horace live? It was Thrup. And question number ten. I think I got the numbers out of order. That's fine. What did Cyril allegedly say before leaving Uncle Horace's house to May? Apparently, she said he said, I will do her in and I shall hang for it. So there we go, folks. There we go. Um, I think I'm going to try and re-record some of this. Now, now that fuckface has switched off a bloody engine. Uh, so that's me done, folks. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I've got another hour's worth of work to do after this. Oh, bloody hell. Anyway, thank you for supporting the show. Stay safe and be good. I'm going to put your little hat on so I can get back to recording and uh i'm gonna put the uh little pop screen back in so i can do that i can't remember when her effing 
effing effing engine went on so i'll just have to wing it i just wing it there we go anyway have yourself a good week folks stay safe and be good lots of love bye bye Uh. Let's do it from here, okay. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.